Adventures in the Small Screen Trade Fame is a fickle mistress. Fifteen minutes after that moment you thought she only had bedroom eyes for you, she's flinging woo at another punter. So I discovered in the Jurassic period when I arrived in Sydney with one goal, to become a scriptwriter. An almost lethal invitation to meet with Hedge and Bundy TV productions sat like an improvised explosive device in my denim jacket pocket. With a dog-eared suitcase and a string-tied copy of the Oscar-winning screenplay writer William Goldman's Adventures in the Screen Trade, I stepped off a flight from Perth and spent half my savings on a taxi to King's Cross. Cracking open my hostel room's sash window, I peered down into an alley to admire colourful locals, thoughtfully sharing a hypodermic needle. One character, sneering at me, revealed a lack of dental hygiene rarely sighted outside a chimpanzee enclosure. What the duck are yous looking at, runt? Well, that's what it sounded like, although I may have misheard. Carry on, mate, I called out while struggling to push the windows shut. I discovered later that the only people in Sydney who called you mate were the police, as in, put your hands on the bonnet, mate, and assume the position. Stretching out on a lumpy mattress which exuded the faint aroma of performing seals, I reached for Goldman's book. Good luck lay just around the corner. In fact, Madame Fifi's Palais de Hop lay just around the corner, and that evening I stood outside Fifi's. Hey Big Spender was being beaten into submission by a live, well up to a point, band. The bouncer, looking me up and down as if I'd broken wind, demanded an entry fee. I explained that in Perth, entertainment venues were simply happy to see you. Grasping my jacket's lapels, he lifted me off the footpath. Well, here you can duck off. Two immediate thoughts. Should I get my hearing checked, and would the stitching hold? Inside the club, and five dollars lighter in the kick, I ordered a Resher's DA. After two sips, I asked the barmaid, who must have been chilly in that see-through crop top, if she'd accidentally served me a schooner of dishwater. Her reaction wasn't as solicitous as I'd hoped. Fighting a gag reflex, I took another pull of the beer and watched the first act take the stage to give what appeared to be a history lesson. Two women of indeterminate age, although I'd charitably determined their early forties, began recreating scenes from the Third Reich. That's if SS officers had worn peekaboo bras, black latex corsetry, and thigh-high jackboots. To give the wretched performers their due, the writhing women were keen to test the strength of the holding screws on their dancing poles. Later, back in my room, with the dresser pushed against the door, I reminded myself of what William Goldman had written. Nobody knows anything. Not one person in the entire motion picture field knows for a certainty what's going to work. But my breakthrough would be different. I'd be working in Australian television. There, everyone knew everything. Smiling at the thought of my first scriptwriting meeting the following day, I drifted into a sleep, only occasionally broken by screams and sirens. 
The next morning I discovered Hedge and Bundy TV productions were tucked inside a dull office building that had seen better days. Those days being circa 1960. Next door was a motel designed by an architect who'd possibly once dined in and been influenced by a Spanish restaurant. Both buildings in Artarman dominated a stretch of Pacific Highway, noted for small businesses which closed within a month of opening. A receptionist watched me enter the office foyer before she stood, picked up a copy of the Women's Weekly and headed for the ladies. While waiting until she returned, I sat on a leatherette bench, admiring upside portraits of Bundy's soap opera stars. More money had been spent on teeth whitening than on talent. A door bounced open. A tall party in a paisley shirt, tight trousers and a tighter pout sniffed, You're late. Actually, I said, I was on time, but your receptionist has literally pissed off. He looked surprised. What? You are waiting to be formally announced? This isn't a Jane Austen novel. Real scriptwriters walk right in. I followed head writer Clint Barber into his office, which had faux timber walls, a melamine desk, and an uninterrupted view of a brick wall. Leaning back in his chair, he expelled a heady mix of Aramis, Alpine cigarettes, and smugness. So you're the hack from done buggering up, he snapped at me. Perth, I said. He yawned. Same, same. The point is, journalists rarely cut it in showbiz. If you hadn't schmoozed Al Bundy during that interview for the West Australian, banging on about your script talent, you'd still be sitting on some beach spitting out sand blown by the Fremantle nurse. He interrupted me. On the bright side, you won't be wasting my time for long, Flynn. I assume you've watched our TV show Sons and Lovers. No need, I said. I'm a big fan of D.H. Lawrence, his nuanced... Again, Barbara looked confused. Is he the drunk who wrote number 96 and Skippy? No matter. Bundy's Sons and Lovers is a TV soap about the real Australian suburbia. Dry reaching, dry humping, and for the wealthy few, dry cleaning. It's stripped four nights a week on nine. We need writers with a gift for stopping TV viewers reaching for the remote. You're starting on dialogue. We give it the episode's outline and you punch out that dialogue. Can you manage that or would you like to catch the next camel train back west? He looked like a man who was used to writers screwing their baseball caps in their hands and saying, Wow, Clint, how can I ever thank you? He looked at me. Come back tomorrow with a final draft. Leaning forward, he lit a cigarette with a Bic lighter, blew peppermint-scented smoke towards my face and said, Off you go, Orson Welles. At seven o'clock that evening, alone with a boxy TV set in the hostel's communal lounge, I switched to Channel 9 and watched for the first time Sons and Lovers. Thirty-one minutes later, with hands shaking, I was standing at Fifi's bar, ordering a Reshers. Have you seen Sons and Lovers? I asked the barmaid. I'm not keen on D.H. Lawrence, she replied. I'm more a Graham Greene kind of gal. 
quite, I said, finishing the first glass, but the excuse for entertainment I watch tonight will snuff out the creative embers of life in your soul. She looked at me. My tip? You'd better improve your chat-up lines. The hands on my watch crawled towards midnight. A sheet of pristine paper was rolled into my portable Remington. The episode storyline was plausible enough. A light aircraft carrying four of the show's more sexually active characters had crash-landed in a paddock of an abandoned sheep station outside Broken Hill, or Katoomba, depending on budget constraints. With the storm closing in, and with barely enough food and barely enough strategically torn clothing, the four must spend the night in an empty farmhouse. Empty, save for two beds and a ghost. The outline I'd been given by Barber read, Fade in, interior. Creepy farmhouse, dusk. Mikey, Roxy, Chicka and Babe enter. Mikey flicks a light switch. Nothing. The only sound is the wind signalling the coming storm. Babe hugs herself for warmth. Chicka opens the door of a rusty fridge and leaps backwards at what he sees. Roxy goes into a cobweb bathroom and begins unbuttoning her ripped blouse. Looking into a cracked mirror, she sights a ghostly shape looming up behind her. Now it was my turn to start writing. With two fingers, I began tapping. Roxy screams. At 4.30pm the next day, I sat in Clint Barber's office. Flipping my script's pages, Barber paused, lit a fresh cigarette off the stub of his old one and sighed, Jesus, wet. Well, I asked, what do you think? I've never read anything like it, he said. He checked his watch, swore and punched the intercom button on his desk. I've just received the late script from that Perth hack. Get it to the rehearsal room stat. We're almost out of time. So, I asked, are you going to use it? Yes, he said, massaging his temples with his fingertips. We have to. Strangely, I seem to hear that word duck again. Weeks later, with a watery Sydney beer in hand, I watched in prime time as Mikey, Roxy, Chicker and Babe mouthed my dialogue. At the close, the speeding credits even spelt my name correctly. The angst of that night and day in my room giving mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation to a cooked turkey of a TV show had been worth it. Or so I thought. I never heard from Barber or Hedge and Bundy again. The following month, a new, less-than-likable character in Sons and Lovers was named after me. Fame of sorts. Then the series was cancelled. Adventures in the Small Screen Trade was written and narrated by Greg Flynn. It's based on a true story. Only the names have been changed to protect the guilty. The preceding is copyright Greg Flynn. 2023.